Uh, our family had the opportunity to be a part of uh, a similar type of ministry, and I'll share stories with you about our own experience at some point in the future. Uh, but it was uh, one of the most rewarding things that we did as a family during our time in, uh, in Florida. Uh, and, and just uh, to make you know, a little exclamation point on that, uh, do, you, do you all know uh, the, the idea of like unreached people groups? So, you know, when you th- talk about like mission of the church, there are this category that we use to describe uh, people groups that have no presence of the gospel or the presence of the gospel is less than 2% of that people group's uh, population. Uh, the, 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 do y'all know where the United States ranks in terms of nations with unreached people groups? Does anybody know? Anybody know a hazard a guess? Nobody wants to hazard a guess? Not first, not second, but third. We are behind China and India in terms of unreached people groups that are here in our country. So uh, there's a great missiological, that's a big fancy word for the mission of the church, opportunity that we have. All right, so speaking of the opportunities of the church, we're going to be jumping in here to Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it uh, and and mark it up and and reference that. It's always good to have a Bible with us to do that. Uh, The scripture reading will also, I think, appear, it's in the printed for you in the bulletin, and I think it might appear up on the screen. I'm not sure. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. They were all together in one place. So remember, we're talking here about the, the men and women that were praying together. All right, so they're all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated Uh, and came to rest on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, lost my place, utterly amazed they asked, are all these who are speaking, are not, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they've had too much wine. Let's uh, pray together as we look at this passage. Father, we, uh, Heavenly Father, we need to hear this morning what you have to say to us uh, from this text. Uh, we, we believe that this word, this ancient manuscript, this ancient book that you have given to us uh, has a word to speak to us today. Uh, that will transform the way that we live our lives, both both as individuals, but also as a community, as a church that is seeking to be uh, faithful to you here in San Diego. And so, Lord, please uh, use this time to speak to us and encourage us, uh, exhort us, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is a body without breath? Anybody? A corpse. 
It's a corpse, right? In the same way that a body without breath is dead, the church without the spirit of God is dead, right? The spirit of God is the life force of the church. And what we see here is this, this moment where the spirit who prior to this particular moment, the spirit had, the spirit of God had come and had rested on particular people at different points of time. So you see in the Old Testament prophets and kings that the spirit of God comes on them. Here is this pivotal moment in, in the history of what God is doing in the world where the spirit comes on anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And so what we're going to see here is how the spirit, we're going to, there's a lot we can do with this passage, but we're going to narrow our focus to one thing in particular. How does the arrival of the spirit help prepare the church for part of the mission that God has given it? How does the arrival of the spirit help the church prepare the church to be that vision that we saw at the beginning of the worship service of Revelation 5, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And to do that, we're going to have two points. First of all, we're going to look at the arrival of Holy Spirit. And then secondly, we're going to look at the power of Holy Spirit in this passage. There is a, a book that came out a number of years ago. The book is called Devil in the Grove. And it is a story. It's a, it's a retelling of a historical event. Uh, it's a story of three young African-American men who were accused of a violent crime in central Florida during the era of Jim Crow. Uh, and one of the principal uh, characters in this historical account is Thurgood Marshall. So if you don't know who Thurgood Marshall is, Thurgood Marshall was, I believe I'm, I believe I'm remembering this correctly, he was the first black Supreme Court justice, is that right? Before he became Supreme Court justice, uh, he was a lawyer with the NAACP. He was a civil rights activist. And he was specifically working with the Legal Defense and Education Fund from the NAACP. And he was the guy that was tasked with going into places like Central Florida uh, in order to help defend uh, people that were being accused of crimes and were, were probably not going to get a fair trial. Uh, and this little uh, snippet of Thurgood Marshall's kind of explanation of who he is from this book to me, I think sets us up nicely for what we're going to talk about. Southern, this is a quote from the book. Southern juries might be stacked against blacks and the judges might be biased, but Thurgood Marshall was demonstrating in case after case that their word was not the last, that in the U.S. Supreme Court, the injustice in their decisions and verdicts could be reversed. He was a lawyer that a white man would listen to and a black man could trust. No wonder that across the South in their darkest most demoralizing hours, when falsely accused men sat in jails, when women and children stood before their ashy ruins of mob-torched homes. Listen to this. The spirits of black citizens would be lifted with two words, whispered in defiance and hope. Thurgood's coming. If you tap in, just like put yourself as much as we are able right? And not all of us are going to be able to do that in the same degree. But if you put yourself in that, in that emotional space of recognizing that the one man who has the ability of probably making things right is on his way to help you, if you let that just kind of sink in and the emotion and the expectancy of that, 
I believe that that helps us to situate ourselves where the apostles, where the disciples are in this moment. Jesus had been talking about Holy Spirit coming since well before he died. He spent the bulk of his time with them in the upper room. So remember the Last Supper, you know, we think they have the meal, and then Jesus teaches them. And there are three chapters of the Gospel of John called the Upper Room Discourse that are all Jesus teaching them. And the bulk of what he teaches them is about Holy Spirit and about loving one another. And so here is this expectancy, the one that Jesus promised is coming and he is here. He's going to help us. There's a, a study that came out. I just saw it this week. Let me pull it up here real quick so that I can, I can get the correct information. There's a study that came out from Arizona Christian University, I think, that says that 62% of, of people who, can, who profess to be Christians, uh, and they use the term born-again Christian, they define that term, and I'm not going to go into their definition of the term, but to give you context, 62% of people who, can, who, uh, who identify as born-again Christians contend that Holy Spirit is not real, not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. This passage teaches us that the Spirit is God. Uh, we believe in the Trinity. There's, the Trinity is it's super complex. I'm not going to get all, into all the dynamics of it. But we believe that there's one God and that that one God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens here, you see it in verses 2 and 3, says that suddenly a sound like a blowing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house and they were sit, where they were sitting. And what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came and rested on them. Now, Wind and fire are not just, first of all, what's happening is that Luke is trying to describe as best as he can what happened. Notice what he says. He says, he doesn't say that a wind came in. He says there was a sound and the best phrase he can use to help us understand what that sound was like, was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Have you ever, uh, anyone have been in a hurricane or a tornado? right? So that kind of sound where you really think a train is coming over you, that's approximately Lucas telling us this is what the sound was like. He says, he doesn't say that there were tongues of fire. He says something, and it was kind of like a tongue of fire was on top of everybody. And if you look at the Old Testament, what you see is that wind and fire are two of the ways that God shows up regularly throughout the Old Testament. Just think of the, of the story of Israel leaving Egypt in their 40 years of wandering. And what you remember is that God shows up as, as a wind when he parts the Red Sea, right? He, he sends a wind in order to protect the people. He shows up to Moses to tell him, hey, you're my guy. You're the one who's going to deliver them. How does he show up? A bush that's not being, a bush on fire, but the fire is not consuming the bush, right? There, there are two images or two ways that God shows up to lead the people of Israel, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, right? So what these, um, even the language that Luke uses here to explain to us what's happening is, is showing us that Holy Spirit is God. He is not just a super powerful angel that God uses 
Uh, and it's also not that God is in sometimes Father, and then sometimes he becomes Jesus, and then sometimes he becomes Holy Spirit. No, we believe that Father, Son, and Spirit eternally exist, one God, three persons. I know it's super complex. We can talk about that some other point. But that's what the historic Christian teaching has been since, uh, since the early church. So the first thing that we see here is this image of, of, of the Spirit coming in is that he's God. The second thing that we see here is, and we got we to gotta jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 38b, to be reminded of the significance of that. Jesus, in uh, his upper room discourse, remember that, that section of teaching, said that I need to go in order for Holy Spirit to come. And now Holy Spirit is coming, and what happens is that Peter is going to preach a sermon. We're going to look at that sermon briefly next week. Peter's preaching a sermon, and in the context of that sermon, he says, this is what Jesus was talking about. So therefore, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of you today, you don't have to raise your hand, but just kind of want you to think about this question. How many of you today uh, want to experience God in some tangible way? Uh, how many of you are here today, maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian, you don't identify as a Christian yet, but part of the reason why you're here is because you're trying to figure this religion thing out, and, and you know instinctively there's just some part of you that says, man, I need, uh, I need something more than what's happening in my life, and you want God to come into your life. If that resonates with you at all, then what, then what we need to understand is that the way that God shows up in our lives is through his Spirit. And the way that we get access to the Spirit is through Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> you know, we often, even, even as I was writing the sermon this morning, as I was uh, kind of going over the sermon, I realized it's really, and I, was, and I was, my original version of the sermon was guilty of this. It's really easy for us to put a lot of emphasis on Jesus and, and then in, unintentionally detract away from the Spirit and the Father. Uh, and, and that is a mistake. We can't make that mistake because all three are God. Uh, and so this particular morning, I'm heavy emphasis spirit, not to detract from Jesus in any way, shape, or form, but to hopefully get us to the point where we're recognizing the importance of the spirit. This, you and I get the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't minimize that at all, right? It's, it's by trusting in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to do that, if you know what that looks like, I would love to help you with that. Chad would love to help you with that. Annette, who is here before me, would love to help you with that. Anybody, Carlos, who's, who, uh, who, uh, one of our elders, any of us that's in leadership of this church, we would love to be able to talk with you about what that looks like. But understand this, if you want to experience God, it's through his spirit. If you want his spirit, it's through Jesus. Now, that's the first point. Now, the second point that we look at is the power of Holy Spirit. So what happens, right? So what happens is that there's this thing that's kind of like fire that comes down on everybody. And then the next thing that occurs is that these people who have been following Jesus begin to talk. They begin to share about who Jesus is. Now, there is a debate about the significance of this passage, and I'm not going to go down that road with us this morning. What I want to do this morning is I want us to focus in on what happens when these people start speaking and everyone starts hearing the gospel being proclaimed? 
So the, the, the people in, the, in this, it's not a room, right? The, the folks who are gathered here, we're told, are a pretty diverse group of people. Uh, Pentecost was a festival. It was a festival right after Passover. So there were probably pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for Passover and they're hanging out. There are other people that maybe because of trade or business, pilgrims who've come just for Pentecost. So you've got this really diverse group of people. And remember that we are now, uh, you know, during the Pax Romana. So, so travel is as easy as it's ever been at this particular point in history. And so you have this really diverse group of people that are, are coming together. And there's a map that, uh, that I put up here for us. So you can get a picture of just how diverse this group of, of people had to have been. So we're talking about 15 different regions of the, of the Mediterranean world. Two empires, the Roman Empire and then the Parthenian Empire. That's that gray uh, section that you see towards the right of the slide is the Parthenian Empire. Three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa, speaking who knows how many different languages. And what you see, what you hear rather, Peter or, or Luke say, is that people from every nation heard the gospel. Now, you might say, well, like, that's not every nation, right? There's a lot of nations that aren't represented there. But that's really similar to you asking me, hey, who was at the party? And I was like, man, everybody was at the party, right? We use that kind of idiom all the time in order to communicate. There was a whole lot of people at the party. There were a whole lot of people here at this particular event. Tim Keller, have you heard of Tim Keller? Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. Uh, writes this. Years ago, he wrote this Bible study uh, and that I got my hands on. It's like gold for studying Acts for me. And this is what he writes in the study. He says, on the first day of Jesus' church, he refused to choose one language. You're going to pick up the second half of the quote there. Uh, on the first day of Jesus' church, he refused to choose one language or one culture to minister in. If the apostles had spoken in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, the signal would have been that the gospel was primarily for one people. But the Lord on Pentecost showed that the gospel was for every tongue, tribe, and people, and nation. The first worship service is multilingual, multicultural, multiracial in the extreme. Amen. So I want to introduce you, maybe not introduce you, remind you to two concepts. So I want to talk to you about the big C church and the little C church. So when we talk about the big C church, what we're talking about is the church throughout history and across the world. Okay, so we're talking about the church in the ancient world, the church in the medieval world, the church in the Reformation and the Renaissance world, the church before World War I, the church today, right? The church throughout history. We're also talking about the church around the world. So we're talking about the church in San Diego. We're talking about the church in Texas. We're talking about the church in China, Korea, Vietnam, Togo, Nigeria, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Mexico, so on and so forth, Okay. That's the big C church. The, the little C church or the local church are those individual expressions of the church. So Harbor City is a part of the big C church, but we're a little C church. We're a local church. Okay, you got those distinctions? Jesus is calling his church to be a multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural entity because that's what his kingdom is, Right? Revelation 5. That's why we started the service there. We started the service there in order to prep us for this conversation. So the big C church 
is already a multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of the kingdom of God. It is. It just is by its very existence in the world. And it, and it was that from day one because of Pentecost. Right? And what happens in, throughout this period of time is that the apostles start going in all these different directions. Uh, Thomas goes to India. I forget where they all go. I, I know that Thomas is martyred in India. And so they start going in all these different directions. And so from the very beginning, the church the big C church is this multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural thing. The question is, how do local churches work out that multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of the church, right? And it's going to be different for every single church because every single church is in a different context and has different questions and different obstacles and different opportunities presented to it. And so part of what has to happen here is that Harbor City, we as a church, part of what this is teaching us is that we have to wrestle through what does it look like for Harbor City in this particular part of San Diego with this group of people that God has gathered, what does it look like for us to be a multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of the kingdom of God? Why is that important? Keller hints at this. I want to really dr drill into it. Notice what doesn't happen. It wasn't that Peter was preaching and then I'm sitting here. Let's pretend that I, I, I speak only Spanish, okay? It wasn't that Peter was preaching and then all of a sudden I'm able to understand Aramaic. Whoa, I, I've never heard Aramaic before in my life and all of a sudden now I can understand Aramaic. I mean, that would have been pretty amazing. But that's not what happened. What happened is that I heard the gospel in Spanish. Right? Somebody heard the gospel in each of these different languages that were, were, were represented in this particular time. And I've not been able to dig down and figure out what all the different languages were, but I know that there was at least Greek, Latin, um, Arabic, uh, and then there's another one that just, I just lost. Right? That's, that's not what happened was that the gospel was being translated into these other languages by the Spirit. Now, I want you to recognize that the importance of language for a culture. Uh, those of you that have grown up, uh, you know, in immigrant families or families where, you know, your parents spoke a different language than you, uh, you might resonate with this. But think of my own experience. So my, my family moved from Puerto Rico when I was six. We moved to Miami. Uh, and my parents, certainly as I was growing up, their primary, even to this day, the primary language that they speak to me is Spanish. And my parents are fluent in English, right? But they speak to me in Spanish. And so Spanish is integral to uh, who I am in the same way that it's integral to cultures. And think about when you travel to another country and you don't speak the language and you see something in English, you're like, oh, this is amazing English, right? So there are parts of my culture that are always Spanish. You will never hear me address my parents as mom and dad. They are mommy y papi. That's how I, that's how I always address them. When we're talking about food, I might tell you, oh, a Puerto Rican dish is rice and pigeon peas, but that's, that's not what it is. It's not rice and pigeon peas. It's arroz con gandules, right? 
if we talk talking about Spanish and you get me really excited, I'll talk. To, I'll start talking to you about alcapurria, pasteles, mofongo, right? All of these foods that even as I say them, there's this little part of me that's like, oh yes, right? Because it's so ingrained in my culture. You know what I'm talking about? You resonate with that? So here, here it is, guys. The, the gospel does not save us from our culture and creates some weird amalgamation. The gospel saves us within our culture. The gospel, what it says is that there are things about our culture that are good and beautiful, and Jesus is making them better. The spirit is making them better. There are things about our culture that are broken, and this is true of every culture, right? I'm not talking about white culture. I'm not talking about Latino culture. I'm not talking about Korean American culture. I'm not all cultures, right? Not politically liberal cultures or politically conservative cultures, all cultures. There are things that are broken and Jesus and his spirit are healing those things. And let's just be honest. There are things about our cultures that are broken, that are sinful, that are wrong, that are evil. And Jesus is gonna do away with those aspects of our culture. And that's in part what's happening here in this passage is that what we're seeing is that Jesus doesn't say, okay, y'all, I spoke, let's say Jesus spoke Aramaic. I spoke Aramaic, so you all got to speak my language. No. The gospel's translated into every language because the church that Jesus is building is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual language expression of the church. And so for us, what that means is that we have to be able to take an assessment of our own heart and ask, how much am I just tolerating diversity? And how much am I actually being, uh, how much am I actually doing in order to foster diversity? Not diversity for the sake of diversity. You understand, right? Diversity because that's what Jesus is doing. Diversity because the big C church already is that. Diversity because that's what the kingdom of God in heaven is already like. And we're living into that. How do we do that? Uh, well, let me give you two, two ways that we can do that as a community and two ways we can foster that as individuals. One way that we can do that as a community, uh, and I'm not going to add more to it because it's already been said so well, uh, are things like good neighbor teams right, where we're helping refugees, right, where we're actually like welcoming people and interacting with people as a church that are very different from us. Another way that we can do that, I think is really illustrated specifically in our worship, uh, is illustrated by a story that happened to me years ago. So before, when I was a pastor of a church in uh, the Palm Beach area, West Palm Beach area, Florida, there was in our church a deacon who was from Togo. Uh, and, and he was a dear friend. We, we ended up, he was on the staff of the church right before I left. He was a dear friend, dear coworker. And one day I was having a conversation with him. I was like, hey, uh, his name was Pascal. Pascal, I was like, I would love to hear, like, what are uh, some of the, the, the traditions that, uh, yeah, and Togo's in West Africa, just to, to, to situate you in the world. Um, I would love to hear, what, you know, what are some of the, the, the things that you all did in worship in Togo that maybe we could do here in the United States in order to help you and your family? And his mother-in-law was visiting at the time from Togo in order to help you all feel like you're really, you know, you're, you're here and connected. And he, and he laughed and he's like, oh, Pastor Ortiz. He always called me Pastor Ortiz. I tried for seven years to get him to call me Omar. He wouldn't do it. Pastor Ortiz. 
It's like, we do it all the time. And I had this weird look on my face. He's like, every time that we say the Apostles' Creed, every time that we say the Lord's Prayer, that is what my church in Togo does every Sunday. Um, and, and that was a really pivotal moment for me in understanding why the church using creeds, we sang the Apostles' Creed this morning, and that wasn't planned at all. Like, that was Holy Spirit. Um, that's, a, it's in my mind, became a, a pivotal moment in understanding why it's so important for the church to use the ancient creeds because those are the things that the church throughout history and around the world has used. I, I can tell you with confidence because I checked that this morning uh, there's a church in Marin County, a sister church of ours in Marin County called Grace, Mar Grace Church of Marin, and there's a church in Austin, Texas called Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. I can tell you with confidence because I looked on their websites, I looked at their bulletins for today, they're saying the Apostles' Creed this morning. And I can tell you with confidence because Pascal told me that every Sunday in Togo, his church says the Apostles' Creed. And I can tell you with confidence that the Apostles' Creed has been said by Christians in multiple languages since it was, since it was first written. And I don't remember when it was first written, but it was a really long time ago. Right? Same thing with the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, 325 AD, Christians have been saying the Nicene Creed. And what that does is it says our expression of worship is good, and it's built out of the culture that we're a part of, and God delights in that. But our expression is a expression of what the church has done throughout history. And when we do things like say creeds, when we, when, we, um, when we sing older music, right, we are saying we're not the sum total of the church. We are connected to a story that's a lot bigger than we are. We are connected to the big C church. All right, I went on way too long on that point. The second thing uh, that we can do as, as individuals to help us press into this multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of the kingdom of God. Two things. We can expand our minds, right? And what do I mean by that? Uh, reading people who are different from us, engaging in podcasts with perspectives that are different from us. Uh, and so, and I, I've had to do that. Like in my own reading, I've committed, there's this one Korean American a professor of preaching, and I've just said, I'm going to read what he's written on preaching. He's got three books out. I've read one. I just ordered, I'm about to order the second one. Like, I want to read his perspective on preaching because I need a perspective different than my own. Uh, I try to read from, from black theologians about biblical interpretation. I read really widely when it comes to understanding culture and cultural intelligence. I read from Christians and non-Christians. I read from people who are conservative, and I read from people who are liberal. Uh, because I want to have a really well-balanced understanding to be able to have conversations with people and understand their perspective. So expand our minds by, by engaging with ideas that are different from our own. And then this one is really, 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 really important. Expand our meals, right? Through the practice of hospitality and having people in our homes and sharing a meal with people who are different from us, not to argue, not to debate, but to listen and understand. Uh, one of the, the fundamental practices of the church throughout history has been the practice of hospitality. Uh, and that, that has been one of the things that has marked the church out uh, and, and allowed us to, to, to bless people the way that we have. All right, so here's the thing, right? 
I recognize that all of this is being said in the context of a, of a culture in the United States that is fragmented and polarized. I realize that even as I'm talking and using the word diversity, that it's hard for us to divorce that term from the way that it's being used in broader media and culture. I recognize that those things are true. And here's the reality, that we are, I'm using this word intentionally, we are being discipled. We are being discipled by our culture into a fragmented existence. We are being discipled by our culture into a reality that is pushing us further and further and further away from what Jesus created, established his church to be. Harbor City Church, brothers and sisters, like we have to recognize that. We have to acknowledge that we are being discipled to look less like the church and look more like a fragmented version of the United States. And so therefore, what we have to do is we have to intentionally take up practices that will help to foster in us, first of all, to be able to, 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 um, to turn away, like acknowledge and see that fragmentation for what it is. But secondly, to be able to live out and, and, and foster in our own hearts and in our community the kind of practices that help us to say, no, the church of Jesus Christ is this multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural thing, and we get to figure out what that looks like here. And that that just isn't about race, right? It's about politics. It's about socioeconomic differences. It's about what part of the country you're from. I mean, y'all know, like, there's people in Boston do things different than people in San Diego. I'm just saying, all right? Uh, and, and, and those things take time, and it can be really easy for it to be judgmental or critical, and that's not what Jesus calls us to. So you see, this is what the Spirit does. The arrival of the Spirit is this moment where Jesus says, I'm with you and I'm going to give you my power and in giving you my power, I'm setting you on this trajectory to be this, this beautiful thing. But think about this. We're not going to go in this because I don't have time, but think about the responses of people. People were, they made fun. They says that they, they said, you guys are a bunch of drunks. But the response that we're going to see in the coming weeks is that, Hundreds of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of, of what's happening here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've sent us your spirit. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you as God, uh, and we thank you that you are in us and that you empower us to be your people. Uh, and so, Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would please help us uh, to live out what you have created us to be, a group of people that is diverse, a group of people that for no other reason would, would be gathered together in this room except that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins and send his spirit to dwell in our midst. We pray this in, in, uh, in Jesus' name and by the power of Holy Spirit. Amen.